Now, I could preach about lust, and you'd say, oh, that's terrible, but maybe that's not something you deal with. I could preach about other things. You'd go, oh, that's a good message, Pastor. But when we talk about worry, it gets real quiet. Now, why is that? Because worry is something that <clears throat> we have kind of rationalized. We've kind of said, well, everybody does it. My mother used to say that she never worried. And I would laugh and I would say, well, then what do you call it? She said, it's Christian concern. <laughs> I'd say, what's the difference between that and worry? She said, it's the way you spell it. Oh, okay, well, you know. But, but you see, that was a rationalized Sin. She was always concerned as a Christian. And it really bugged her. Could we all say, yeah, worry is something that just kind of springs up every once in a while? We go, <sighs> sometimes it's an elongated worry. Fifty years ago, my wife and I started a church in Albany, Georgia. And it was a wonderful experience. We met, first of all, in a hotel, downtown Albany. And then we sang too loudly. And the folks that were trying to sleep in the hotel were bothered, and they complained to the manager. And so the manager said, you're going to have to find somewhere else to go. And I thought, oh, man. I'd already looked for a church location at the beginning of the ministry, and we had evaluated 125 locations. That's 125. Either they said no, or we couldn't afford it. Finally, the Lord opened up a wonderful door. We were able to meet in this hotel, but we were only able to stay there for four months. Our loud singing got us kicked out. I didn't know what in the world we were going to do. And so I announced that Sunday night that we've got two weeks to find somewhere else to meet. And uh, so a couple guys came up and said, listen, uh, we belong to, to the Southern Bell uh, Union, and we just built a brand new building, and we're only going to be using it the fourth Thursday of every month. Is that something that we could look in? I said, oh, definitely. Check with whoever's in charge. Well, the guy's name was Blackie. That sounded kind of mafia to me. You know? I thought, okay. So we prayed about it, and I went to talk to Blackie, and he showed me the facility, and I said, oh, this would be fantastic. We could uh, even buy a mobile home and put it behind the, the church building and, and we could make that our nursery and preschool department. And uh, <clears throat> he said, well, that would work out. I said, as long as we don't schedule anything on the fourth Thursday, can we use it anytime? He said, sure. I said, that's fantastic. I said, how much would you charge? And he said, how much are you paying now? I didn't want to tell him. Because I thought, oh, man. I said, well, 
we're paying $25 a month. Excuse me, a week, a week. He said, 25 is all your, I said, yes, sir. He said, well, can you afford, can you afford 30? I said, well, let me pray about it. Yes, sir, I think, you know, when you're on praying ground, it doesn't take long to kind of get an answer there. And I, I said, I think we can afford 30 a week. He said, okay, you can move in. This began to be a series of trusting God times. Now, when you start a church, it's exactly what you have to do. You have to trust God. It's not like you can assemble every Sunday and everybody's going to be there and the offerings are going to be wonderful and, and uh, the reputation around town is going to be fat nuts. not the way it always works. Sometimes there are some dry times. Starting in Albany, Georgia, it was the fifth fastest growing city in America of its size. Procter & Gamble was building a huge plant. Firestone was coming in, building a huge plant. And then a brewery came in and built a huge plant. And there was an Air Force um, uh, facility there, and there was a Marine Corps Supply Center. And so it just seemed like everything was booming in Albany. Well, that's great until a third of your congregation are electricians who are building the Procter & Gamble plant. And when they get done, guess what they do? Happy trails to you. Yeah. One summer, we lost 12 families. Now, when you don't have many families, that really hurts. Now, do you think worry was ever a problem in my heart? There's nobody here but us, so we can talk. What do you think? Christian concern. Exactly. Do you think worry was a temptation for me? Uh, yeah. Because I thought, Lord, I thought you led us here to start this church and and everything was going fantastic, but we needed a new place. So, um, we talked to somebody selling church bonds. Now, that was because no bank would finance a building for us. Even though we'd had fantastic growth, we reached 230 people in nine months. Fantastic growth. But the banks in town said, well, come back in a couple years and let us, let us reevaluate your growth. We couldn't wait a couple years. We had outgrown the CWA union building. One Sunday, we had 52 preschoolers and babies in the mobile home, 52. My wife taught the nursery, the two-year-olds, she met in the bathroom. She sat on the commode and she had little carpet squares for all the two-year-olds and they all sat on the floor. I think the only place she didn't have anybody sitting was the bathtub. We ran out of room. We had to grow, we had to buy property. But to buy property, we had to have financing. 
So somebody said, well, if a bank won't loan you any money, why don't you sell church bonds? I didn't know what church bonds were. They're kind of like IOUs that some of them are due in six months, some of them are due uh, in a year, uh, most of them are due later on, but by 10 years, all of them have come due. So I thought, okay, well, let's sell church bonds. So we had a church bond salesman come in, and, and uh, uh, we started selling church bonds. We sold bonds to all of our members and, and sold bonds to, to everybody we can think of. Anybody walking by, would you like to buy a church bond? You know, I mean, just, just anything we could do to sell $75,000 worth of church bonds. Um, nobody was interested in really stretching their neck out for a new church. And so consequently, we reached the point that we had only sold like 43,000 of them. We still had 30-some thousand dollars of church bonds, and, and we were getting extensions on, on our, our um, uh, possibility of a loan with just a few days left, the banker said to me, well, you know, Pastor Huffman, it was a good try. You folks really worked hard. But what I didn't know was the property we were buying had been, had been zoned commercial because a huge interchange was coming in. A bypass was coming around Albany. It was going to dump right on the edge of the property. And the property had doubled in price over that period of six months. So consequently, the bankers that owned it were, excuse me, the doctors that owned it were hoping it wouldn't sell because they heard that there was a huge multi-million dollar shopping center mall that was coming in as a result of the of the uh, interchange, and so the property was just doubling in value. And I thought, Lord, are we going to lose this property? We really believe this was where you wanted the church. Now we prayed. I'll never forget where I prayed. I stopped on the side of the road. I began to walk across the fields, and I said, God, what is going on? Why can't we sell the rest of the bonds? It came to the day before the deadline. The bond salesman called me about 4 o'clock that afternoon, and he said, Pastor Huffman, are you sitting down? I said, I will sit down quickly. What's going on? He said, we just sold $38,000 worth of church bonds to one family who had inherited some money. It finally came to them, and they decided to invest it in church bonds. They're buying yours. I said, how quickly can we get? He said, we will overnight the money to the bank. I walked into the bank the next morning, and the banker said, how in the world did you do that? I had one answer, God. Amen? See, God was teaching us that there are such things as LMDs, last minute deliverances. And down through my 53 years of ministry, 
I've seen God work again and again and again through LMDs, last minute delivery. Now, why does God wait until the last minute? You have an answer for me? Marco says, I have no answer. He says, I don't like last-minute deliverances. Do any of you like last-minute deliverances? No. It's because we want to see God work when? Yesterday, right? Day before would be better. See, we have a different attitude, but God says, I want to teach you to trust in me. And while you're trusting, I want you to rest on my promises. Now, Hebrews chapter 4 talks about that. Notice verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Notice the relationship between faith and rest. Verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. In other words, God's plan has always existed. But you and I need to rest in his sovereign plan. Verse 4, For he has somewhat spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter, oh, because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. God has a rest for us. Now go back one chapter. Chapter 3 and notice verse 7. Back one page. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of resting, excuse me, testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. <laughs> for 40 years, God provided for the children of Israel. Their shoes never wore out. Isn't that amazing? They're walking every day that God has, ha has them walking, but their shoes never wore out. Did they ever want for food? Every day it was manna. Manna. <laughs> manna means what is it? When they saw it, they first said, manna, which means what is it? It was basically angel food cake. It says it was what the angels ate. 
And every day, God provided it. That's what this verse is saying. Verse number 10, Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So God here is talking about a rest. It's called the faith rest life. It basically means living your life opposite of the world's philosophy according to what seems reasonable. So many times, what seems reasonable is not God's plan. What seems unreasonable, what seems irrational, is often God's plan. I mean, you've heard the saying, God helps those who, what? Help themselves. Now, what chapter of the Bible is that in? Oh, it's not. See, that's, man, that's world philosophy. That's man's philosophy. So many times when we believe God helps those who help themselves, then we try to help God out. You ever try to help God out? It's called worry. Like, God, I don't think you're worried enough about this, so I'm going to help you. And so I begin to worry. And God looks at us and goes, Again? You with me? See, I'm either resting or restless. Does that make sense? I'm either resting in his promises or I become restless because I'm not claiming his promises. Faith often seems unreasonable, but when reason fails, faith prevails. For instance, tithing. The whole idea of giving a certain percentage of your salary to God's ministry. To the world, that seems stupid. Giving your money like that every week, what's the sense of that? You can't expect to make it if you're giving away 10% of your money. And God says, do you trust me? See, trusting God is the lesson that he's always wanting to teach us. It's kind of like when he told Sarah she would have a child. She was how old? Ninety. Ninety. Her husband Abraham was a hundred. Good luck on that. But they had a child. You see, it's kind of like the walls of Jericho. If Israel was attacking Jericho, the walls naturally would fall in as they were being attacked by huge rocks or whatever. Historians tell us the walls of Jericho fell out. Only God could do that. Only God could defeat the Midianites when Gideon just had how many soldiers? 300! No way! But God says way. Amen? 
because God is teaching them how to wait. It's learning to trust God's promises so, so implicitly that when we are trusting God to work, it seems foolish. To the banker, it seemed foolish for us to trust God to be able to raise that money. And so many times, when you are trusting God, you are showing the world, the watching world, there's a God in heaven. You remember Corey Ten Boom in the Nazi prison? Remember she had a sister called Betsy? <laughs> and uh, Corey was complaining, oh, I'm so sick of these fleas. I mean, I come in and and, and the, the, the beds are just covered in fleas, and, oh, God, why can't you get rid of the fleas? And her sister said, Corey, don't you realize the fleas are God's blessing? She said, how? She said, because of the fleas, the female guards will not even come into our quarters because they don't want to be around fleas. That allows us to read our Bible freely without ever fearing inter interruption. Oh. See, God's ways are different than man's ways. It's learning to trust him. Now, so many times we come to the point that we, we just have to have God's discernment God's discernment. In other words, God's discernment will lead you to act when you must act or stand back and let God act when there's nothing else you can do. Now, I'm not saying if you're out of a job, you should go to the park, sit on the park bench, and wait for an employer to come along and offer you a job. I'm not saying that. No. You look for a job eight hours a day as if you were working. You are diligently looking and looking and looking and looking and praying for God to work. But at the end of the day, you have peace because you're trusting God to meet the need and to fulfill his promise. Remember, back in the Civil War, there was a man by the name of Stonewall Jackson. He was a Confederate general and his men would say during the heat of the battle, Stonewall Jackson would sit on his horse in the front of the battle, raise his arm to heaven, praying for his soldiers. His attitude was, when it comes to my time to die, I'll die. Until then, and the soldiers couldn't believe it, like he's sitting up there on his horse, it's a perfect target. Bullets went all around him, but never shot him. Stonewall Jackson was a man of God. He would stop in the middle of a battle, go back to his tent, and write out his tithe check and send it to his local church with a, by a messenger so that they would get the, 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 uh, the tithe check and be able to continue the ministry of the home church while he's in battle. He made sure that he didn't write his tithe check on such a way that the messenger would have to travel on Sunday because Sunday was a day of rest. He believed so much in God, his work, his will, 
that he simply said, I'm going to stand, I'm going to sit there on my horse, pray unto God, trust in God. And the men called him Stonewall Jack because he was like a stone wall, unmovable, until it was time for him to die. Now, we should refuse to take action when you've been wronged and your flesh wants to take action. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. In other words, there are times that I am to wait on God when I've been hurt, when I've been falsely accused, when my flesh wants to lash back. Notice how God deals with this in chapter 2 and verse 20. Verse 20, it says, For what credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. So when you're suffering, how should you suffer? God's word says he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Closing my mouth, trusting God, to be the one who is the righteous judge. Now, that's a hard thing to do. We want to lash back. We want to defend ourselves. And God says, I'm the judge. Let me take care of it. When you're in court, your lawyer tells you, don't talk. The lawyer says, I will do the talking. Who's your lawyer? Jesus Christ, according to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, he is our intermediate. He is the one who pleads our case. So, so God says, when you're going through times of suffering, let God plead your case. Zip the lip. Allow yourself to be heard. And when you've been hurt, you trust in God to judge righteously and take care of what you're facing. It is a faith rest life. Now our Heavenly Father has always wanted His children to rest in Him, to be our guide, our provision, our protection. See, because God is trusting in us to be trusting in Him. God is trusting in us to be trusting in Him. Now first of all, we see there's a rest for the people of God. Nine times the word rest is used in this chapter. Four different senses are given to its meaning. The first rest is found in chapter 4, verses 4 and 10. It talks about God's Sabbath rest. This is a rest after satisfaction and a complete work. It's not a rest after exhaustion. God wasn't exhausted after the six days of creation. But he was satisfied with a complete work. And so it is with us, with his rest for us. 
We're complete in our satisfaction of what God has done for us. We don't have to work for our salvation. He's already done it. We don't have to, to, to be concerned about his, his providential care, his provision. The Bible says in verse 10 that we are to cease from our work. Stop worrying about all of these things. Then there's, secondly, the rest that was given to Canaan, the children of Israel, after 40 years of wandering. That's found in chapter 3, verse 11, chapter 4, the first six verses. The rest for the children of Israel. Then thirdly, there's the believer's rest in Christ. That's for us. That's described in chapter 4 and verse 3 and verses 10 through 11. The rest that God gives us. And then lastly, there's the eternal rest waiting for the believer, chapter 4 and verse 9. Now I want you to notice in verse 1, go back to chapter 4 and verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same thinking, wherefore he suffered in the flesh, he has ceased. I'm sorry, I'm in 1 Peter. Chapter 4 and verse 1 of Hebrews. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. Notice the connection between promise and rest. See, God has promised to take care of us. God has promised to meet our needs. God has promised that all things work together, what? For good, as long as I'm loving God. The promises of God are for our rest. Because promise is always associated with rest. Now, I have a sign above our bed that we bought when I was out of a job. I had no income. I had no insurance. I had no way to pay the next mortgage bill. But we were walking through Home Depot and we saw a plaque. And this is what it said. Faith is not believing that God can. It is knowing that he will. And I looked at Ruth and I said, we need that plaque. Faith is not believing that God can. Can God meet our needs? Can God provide another ministry? The folks that we'd been with before had said, we're going to make sure you never have another ministry anywhere the rest of your life. That was sweet Christian love. And they honestly did try to torpedo the next ministry that God was giving us. So we bought the plaque. We put it above our bed so that every day we would see that plaque. Faith is not believing that God can, but it is knowing that he will. See, God's rest is not in the absence of trials, but it's peace in the midst of trials, for he is with us and for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is with us and for us? Did Daniel believe that when he was being threatened to be thrown into the lion's den? Uh, yeah. In fact, he slept 
in the lion's den. God gave him a very soft pillow. It was called a lion's tummy. God had shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel just believed that God was in charge. In fact, when Darius came the next morning, he said, Daniel, Daniel, has the God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you out of the mouths of the lions? I like that. Has the God whom you serve continually? Daniel didn't say, drop dead, king. No. He responded, oh, Darius, live forever. It was a blessing. He said, yes, God has sent an angel and he has shut the mouths of the lions. See, Daniel believed there was a rest when you trust the promises. Remember when Peter's, Peter was in prison and uh, James, a, another disciple, had been beheaded. And he was sleeping in prison the night before he was to be beheaded. I don't know if I could have been sleeping. But Peter believed that he was going to be okay. Because in the last chapter of John, Jesus had told Peter what was going to happen and he was going to live a long life and how he was going to die and it wasn't going to be beheading. So he believed God's promise. In fact, he was sleeping so soundly, the angel... <clears throat> that came to him, had to wake him up and open the doors of the prison and out he went. See, victory is in spite of seemingly impossible odds. Remember crossing the Jordan? It was a time of the Israelites. Forty years before they'd heard the story of crossing the Red Sea, now they come to Jordan. It's in flood stage. Oh, man. God says, have the, 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 the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant walk into the river first. And as soon as they get their feet wet, the waters will dry up. That's interesting. As soon as they got their feet wet. You see, God wants to see, are you going to trust me? Are you going to go ahead and get your feet wet? Are you going to make a public profession of your faith that God is still in control? The former generation had failed, and they died in the wilderness. But this generation was given a new test of faith. It started with the Jordan River. It then went to the walls of Jericho. And every generation is given a test of faith. Our generation is given a test of faith. Now, how are we doing with it? Israel failed to experience God's rest. They refused to believe that God could provide all the rest that he said he could. They looked at the, at the, uh, the fields there in, in, in uh, Palestine. They said, man, these fields are just filled with with fantastic crops. Maybe we need to worship the God that provided the fantastic crops for the Palestinians. His name was Baal. 
Maybe we should start worshiping him. You see the temptation? Not trusting in God's provision promise. Would God provide for them and provide protection in battle? He said he would. But they only trusted God in fighting the people that lived in the valleys, but they left the people that lived in the mountains alone. They thought that'd be too hard to defeat them again. They failed to trust God. Now here's the question. What are you facing today? Are you facing a health issue? Can you trust God? If it is not your time to die, you're going to live. That's pretty simple, isn't it? The Bible says life and death are in the hands of the Lord. Now, when Ruth became sick with the, the uh, uh, what, was it, what was it called? Uh, with sepsis. And the ICU doctors could not get rid of it with all of the antibiotics that they provided. And they said, there's nothing left we can do. Bring her home, put her in hospice care, and stay with her. Now, during those 10 weeks, you better believe I prayed for healing. But I also said, Lord, if this is her time to come be with you, then I'm going to trust you for that. Now, that was a hard prayer. Amen? It was a hard prayer. Because I didn't want it to be her time. But obviously, as she got weaker and weaker and weaker, I began to tell her, honey, it's okay. You can go live with Jesus. He's got a mansion for you. She had previously told me when she could talk. I'm going to ask God if we can share a mansion when we get to heaven. I know there's no marriage. I'm just going to ask him if we can share a mansion. I don't know. The Bible doesn't talk about it, does it? But if we can share a mansion, that'd be awesome. Somebody else could use mine. But you see, failing health is the time when God says, do you trust me? And we have to trust him for healing or trust him for complete healing healing, and giving a new body in heaven. Amen? Whatever we're facing, maybe you're facing the loss of memory. That's so frustrating. I mean, whether it's dementia or Alzheimer's, whatever it is, you just kind of, you start getting worried. Lord, what will happen if I, if I lose my memory? Sometime before Ruth got sick, she was beginning to struggle with that. So we had a, a pact. Whenever we were talking, and, and she would be talking, and all of a sudden she'd lose her memory, she'd look at me. And I would just complete the sentence that she was trying to say. I told her, I will be your memory. So as long as we're together, you'll be okay. Took away the worry. Whatever it is you're worried about, maybe your job, 
whatever it is. The question is, are you restless or are you resting in him? Now turn your Bible in Matthew. Matthew chapter number 11. It says in verse number 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Wow. Jesus promised a faith rest life. Notice he didn't say there'll be no burdens. There will be trials. There will be tests. But God said, trust in me. Now mark it down. The heart of every problem is the problem of the heart. The heart of every problem is the problem of a heart. And when we're unsubmissive to God's directives in his word, then we have a problem. So there is a rest for us today. God has promised that rest. And so I want you to notice, are you resting in God's word and his care? Hebrews 3.10 says, not knowing the ways of God will blind you to the tests of God. Not knowing the ways of God will blind you to the tests of God. So God wants us to learn his ways. How does he work? And so the next trial or test must be faced differently. First of all, you pray like this. Thanks, Lord, for this test of my faith. I'm trusting in this promise for health or provision or whatever, and relying on this character quality of you, Father, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom, and can't wait to see how you're going to bring the victory. I'm trusting in your name, God, and there are many names of God that help us to know who he is. That's how you pray the next trial you face. Secondly, thanks, Lord, for reminding me to meditate on your principles and promises these past days. They're really helping me now. Let me give you some promises. 1 Peter 5, 7. Quickly jot these down. 1 Peter 5, 7. These are promises or principles that God has given that we can trust in. 1 Peter 5, 7. Psalm 37, verses 4 to 8. Psalm 37, verses 4 to 8. And verse 19. Psalm 55, 22. Psalm 55, 22. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13. All right, thirdly. When I'm spiritually growing, Lord... I'm beginning to see all of life and its circumstances in light of eternity in God. I'm seeing all of my circumstances in light of eternity and God. Fourthly, 
Lord, I know your rest does not mean freedom from all nuisances and hassles, but it does mean the freedom from being so easily bothered by them. And so, Lord, the hassles will be there, the frustrations will be there, but I know you have a rest for me. Lastly, Lord, this trial may not turn out the way I'd like, but may you be glorified as it turns out the way you'd like. That's quite a prayer. This trial may not turn out the way I'd like, but I pray, Lord, that it will turn out the way you like. And I'll guarantee you when we are trusting in God's promises, the songwriter said, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Our heads are bowed.